My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Alexa Potashnik. It's pretty difficult to find a broadly embraced narrative of Canada that doesn't erase or significantly marginalize blackness. There have been people of African descent in this part of the world pretty much as long as there have been people of European descent, but our dominant stories rarely reflect this, with black people either erased or dehumanized. That's true of the family of narratives pushed by more conservative elites, like the vision of Canadianness promoted by the former Harper Conservative government that emphasizes ties to Britishness and long histories of militarism, And it's also true of more liberal stories of Canada that focus on things like multiculturalism, socialized medicine, and liberal internationalist foreign policy. That may sound counterintuitive. Isn't multiculturalism meant to address that sort of thing, after all? But among other critiques of the versions of multiculturalism that have been promoted by the Canadian state over the decades are that they continue to center and privilege whiteness, that they often have left little space to name and challenge systems of white supremacy and the other axes of oppression that white supremacy is intertwined with, and that they often serve to erase the specificities of black experience, of anti-black racism, and of black resistance and thriving. Take the city of Winnipeg. Alexa Potashnik's grandparents moved there from Jamaica, via England, in the late 1960s. There have been quite sizable black communities, mostly with roots in the Caribbean, living in the city since at least the 1970s, and in more recent years, black communities in Winnipeg have grown even larger and more diverse, with further migration not only from elsewhere in Canada and from the Caribbean, but from various countries in Africa as well. Yet much like in Canada as a whole, dominant ideas and stories of Winnipeg tend to erase blackness, Spaces of artistic and cultural production in the city have often excluded black producers and black stories, and powerful institutions that organize life in the city are no more committed than anywhere else across the continent to the changes that would be necessary to create a world that truly values black lives. Potashnik founded Black Space Winnipeg to push back against that erasure and marginalization. It started about a year and a half ago with a private Facebook group for black people in Winnipeg to share stories and experiences with one another. And by July 2016, it became the basis for the city's first Black Lives Matter rally. Black Space Winnipeg has been putting on numerous events of many different sorts ever since. These events have ranged from workshops and other forms of public education, to arts and culture events, to the Silence is Violence rally held in late August of this year in the wake of the white supremacist violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. All of this work aims to create spaces that are unapologetically pro-black and Afrocentric, while also acting in solidarity with other oppressed groups, and challenging anti-black racism and building inclusivity across all sectors within Winnipeg. Potashnik speaks with me about anti-black racism and about the work of Black Space Winnipeg. My name is Alexa Potashnik, born and raised in Winnipeg. I'm the founder of Black Space Winnipeg. I host a radio show as well called Rock Colors on CKW 
95.9 FM, that's at the University of Winnipeg campus. I was the former racialized student commissioner with the Canadian Federation of Students in Manitoba for a two-year term. And I've done a lot of work in the community for increasing the visibility and representation for marginalized voices, especially through and for the Black community in Winnipeg. So that's what Blackface is all about, increasing visibility, being in solidarity with other marginalized groups, but really attacking issues from a pro-Black and Afrocentric lens and ensuring that there is adequate space for Black people in different sectors across Winnipeg. I was raised by a single mom. My mom, she's Jamaican, and it was I think just her influence on me, seeing what she's went through as a black woman living in Winnipeg and a lot of the systemic struggles that she's faced, it kind of just was instilled in me from a very young age to always fight for what you believe in and keep things authentic and real. And I've always been very outspoken, not one to maintain the status quo. I was very vocal even as a student in elementary and high school. And I think a lot of the work that I do is personal and it's vulnerable. And I get a lot of opportunities to connect what I'm passionate about to my career and morph more into that. And it's really exciting. I'm also a beatboxer. I'm a vocal percussionist. I've been doing that since I was nine years old, and I love connecting the arts and creativity to grassroots activism and really exploring how we can define our narrative as, as people of color authentically from our perspective and definition. We have a large Caribbean community here, at least a lot from the 1970s. Even my grandparents came here in like the late 1960s. They migrated from Jamaica to England to Canada. And there is a lot of community and especially driven through faith. And then there is a large newcomer population from different countries in Africa. A lot of them who are international students who are coming here for school. So the political commentary that drives the Black community in Winnipeg, it's of unifying, of making sure that we're coming together as a collective and also being in solidarity with other oppressed groups like Indigenous people here. And we have a large Filipino community. So there's been a lot of efforts and collaborations to build solidarities across other people of color. But for Black people here specifically, I think we're in a very crucial time where we're starting to see more and more initiatives around the city to demand resources and visibility for Black people because we've, and I said this in an interview I did with CBC Toronto, like I feel the Canadian narrative has somewhat exempt Black people from that discussion as if Black people don't exist in Canada and with efforts like Black Lives Matter Toronto and great people doing work around the country within the past couple of years, like we're really seeing this movement grow in the Canadian context for Black people. What are some of the key ways that anti-Black racism manifests in the Winnipeg context? In Canada, we have this cultural mosaic trope where we're very welcoming and we always look at the states as our counterpart, like we are not that, we are not Donald Trump. And the reality is... That white supremacy and anti-black racism knows no boundaries. It manifests systemically, right? And the way it, it comes up in Winnipeg is no different than how it would around the country. 
since we feel like we're very culturally accepting and that kind of colorblind racism presents itself where a lot of people who are privileged and white will just say statements like, I don't see color. I don't see you as different. I see you as you, right? And it comes in politeness. It comes in microaggression statements where you're at work, somebody says something racist, you address them on it and they said, no, I didn't mean it like that. So that's kind of another reinforcement that Blackface does is to be unapologetically Black and you and address these issues and make people feel responsible and accountable for anything discriminatory that they might say. And in Winnipeg, yeah, our tagline is Friendly Manitoba. So it's kind of hard to convince the general public that we can be producers or subject to discrimination when the national and even provincial narrative is always of this welcoming attitude. And that's not the case. Even speaking to my mom's experience, I say if she grew up and she's like in the baby boomer generation or whatever in her 50s and people she went to school with was openly calling her the N-word, right? Those people still exist. So I don't really know how much attitudes can change when at one time, not so long ago, like 20 years ago, that was the norm to say those terms openly, right? And we're kind of all over the place thinking that we're just immune to this discrimination in a Canadian and Manitoba context, and we're completely not. And there's a lot of communities where people of color are very isolated because Winnipeg's very spread out and we can be all over the place. And especially Black people, there's not one space that we have really to ourselves other than like in some community churches and maybe community centers. But most of the time, especially in the workplace and racism in the workplace, like it's these microaggressions and polite anti-Black racism and discrimination that you face. And it's just about getting your story out and making sure that people know that it exists. Tell me about the founding of Black Space Winnipeg. About last year, March, I made a group on Facebook, a private group for Black folks, just to have a, a healing space online to connect with other Black people in the city, to talk about racism, microaggressions that they've been through, and just to generate community. I really wanted to build just something in Winnipeg that I felt was missing for Black people. And it came around the time where we saw injustice from Philando Castile and Alison Sterling in the States and Andrew Loku and the Black Lives Matter Tent City. Uh, and that was in the Toronto context. Which was around last March. And we created the group on Facebook. And from then, it just kind of morphed into this entity, this movement that started to draw more Black people in Winnipeg to come out and share what we had to say. We held the first Black Lives Matter rally in Winnipeg last July. And from then, it just kind of opened the store where we've been making events more inclusive for Black people. For example, Nuit Blanche, we have an artist demonstration showcase through Afrocentrism called Nuit Noir. And we were the first organization to really put this demand on arts organizations to make sure that they include Black people in Winnipeg. I was fortunate enough to introduce Dr. Angela Davis when she came here in May. And from right now, we're just making sure spaces are inclusive, but also making sure that we have our own space and our own time to collaborate and come together as a community. Tell me more about that initial Black Lives Matter rally and the kinds of things that Black Space Winnipeg has done since then. 
like I said, it was building on the momentum of what was happening south of the border with Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Sandra Bland, and the countless names and victims who've been murdered by the state, by police. And it just kind of hit me. I couldn't sit there and go on my timeline and my newsfeed and my Instagram and Twitter and just see videos of black men and women being disposed of and just shot and murdered with no humanity whatsoever. So... I think that really strikes something in me and I wanted to make sure that black people here felt safe enough to have a space and come together and talk about these issues that people don't think that they directly affect us, but they do. And we, it's so important to express solidarity to people that you can relate to, that you can identify with. That day, there was about 500 plus people that came to the Manitoba Legislative Building and it was it was a storm, like it rained the whole night and we lasted through the storm. And it was just testimony after testimony from black people in Winnipeg who really came out and said racism exists in Winnipeg, it exists in Canada, the anti-black racism and practice doesn't stop because we're in what people centralize as a welcoming nation. And that day, CBC, CTV, all these reporters just saw Black people come together collectively and express that this is important and things are about to change in the city for our community. We've done workshops around the city of anti-discrimination, anti-oppression work, speaking to people about anti-Black racism and how that affects and manifests within Winnipeg. And for public demonstrations, even partnering with universities, the University of Manitoba, University of Winnipeg. And then we have these film series. So since February, we, in association with Winnipeg Film Group and Cinematheque, brought to the film I'm Not Your Negro for Black History Month. And since then, we screened a number of films that address these very important issues. And then we always have a panel after that's open to the public where people can ask questions and break down these stereotypes a little bit more. I think right now, In the wake of, let's say, the Trump presidency and even in Manitoba with a very, very conservative government right now, I think conversations like this about race and identity that kind of push that comfort level are where we are right now in society. And the conversation is just a start. And building off of that, we try to make initiatives that bring these issues of race, identity, any kind of intersectional barriers to the public and try to speak about them in an authentic, raw, organic dialogue. So that's what we're trying to always do and present and make sure that our voices are heard and respected. And as an example of the kind of cultural work that Black Space Winnipeg is doing, tell me more about Nuit Noir. Last year, I contacted Culture Days and it was basically like, it's, I've been going to the Nuit Blanche Festival since like 2012, 2013. And at least in this city, I couldn't remember any Black-centered artistic demonstration within the city whatsoever. And I said, it's time, like there needs to be a space dedicated to that. I realized like it's voluntary and artists put forward their work and everything, but I didn't see it. So I really, really wanted to make that happen. And with the efforts of the group, we partnered with Black artists in the city. We had a showcase that highlighted a lot of newcomers who are just so incredibly talented and that didn't have a platform. So that was the first night The reaction from the public was they've never seen anything like this before. And the arts community, like I suppose most in Canada, is very, very white and white-centered. 
that's why basically Nuit Noir and Nuit Blanche, like it's the opposite of that. It's the empowerment of these communities. It's the art that is so unique and vulnerable and real that needs to have a stage and a platform for Black people and the general public as well. They need to see this. This year, we're doing the same thing and we're highlighting performance art through spoken word and rap and soul and music and I, I wish I, I saw more of this stuff when I was growing up. It would have had a real impact. Who's involved in Black Space Winnipeg? I'm the founder and president for myself, another local podcaster and activist, Adeline Bird, who just had a book come out called Be Unapologetically You. It's a self-love guide for women of color. Kalechi Asaguera, who is a founder of Eze Studio. They do a lot of film and photography and, and media. Shondell Bav, who is another big community leader, especially in the Caribbean community. Reno Wilson, who has his own platform. Celia Joseph and Travis Ross. There's so many people and it's morphed into a support network where Blackspace will support what's happening in the community, try to provide resources. And then if people are interested in doing something or hosting events, then we want to be there. We want to make sure that we have that platform. And there's a lot of great initiatives happening around the city that are Black-owned and Black-led that we always support all the time. So as you have created unapologetically Black spaces in Winnipeg, and as you have pushed back against anti-Black racism, what kinds of broader public conversations has that triggered? Well, I think now, usually when something happens in the public, they'll reach out to us. So recently, we held an event called Silence is Violence, so Winnipeg against fascism in response to the Charlottesville protesters. And white supremacist graffiti started to come up around in certain locations in, in Winnipeg. It wasn't huge, but there's still acts of this ignorance going on. And the kind of response from the community was that we're not going to stand for this. It also came from people of color first to respond to this, which I find interesting. But we spoke a lot with CBC and other media stations across the city when we had our event. I think the more we talk about it and try to normalize this conversation is the more that it'll be presented within the public eye. So usually when anything happens, when we hear about something racist or there's a controversy or a movement like what we saw in Charlottesville, and then that kind of has this ripple effect up north and in Winnipeg, we will always make that space. And a lot of the times we have these conversations without involving the public. We have Black-centered spaces where it's just for Black people, and that's our time to heal and to not have it be a compromised space with any other outsider's perspectives or cases of white fragility. So it's a balance of both, I think. Tell me more about the Silence is Violence event. I believe it was August 23rd. We gathered at the University of Winnipeg. It got a very large following on Facebook on our event page. Over, I think, a thousand people distributed it. We had probably 300 plus people in attendance. We made it very clear that for the BIPOC community, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, came at a certain time. And we had that space to ourselves without white people for the first hour to express what we were feeling openly, authentically in a safe space. 
So when allies came into the picture, when white people, they came later at seven, we just made it very clear that these issues that directly affect people of color, it's exhausting to always talk about this and that the space first and foremost was for the BIPOC community. I think there was some pushback. Some people left because they didn't feel it was a welcoming space for them. But I really urge that if you call yourself an ally, which is already a very privileged position to be in, then you have to sit in that discomfort in order to grow. So it was just a very clear attempt that we're not here to centralize or make white people feel comfortable. And it was a lot of personal testimonies from the community, from Black people, Indigenous people, the Asian community that came out and said, this exists in Winnipeg and we're tired of dealing with it. So the response was very powerful especially the personal testimonies. And I think we kind of got the message across that if you want to call yourself an ally, then when you're in these moments of racism, like if you're with your spouse or your family or your friends and these small pockets that you have, then you have to address racism and call it out when you see it. We just want to really put this importance of being accountable and responsible for these acts of discrimination that we're seeing because it shouldn't just lie on Black people to address anti-Black racism. Particularly given the size and political organization of Indigenous communities in Winnipeg, what do you see as the possibilities and maybe also the challenges for building relationships of solidarity between Black and Indigenous communities? Well, I think much of what we face is very similar, right? We obviously experience it differently. And we have to acknowledge, too, that anybody who lives in Canada benefits from the displacement of Indigenous people, Indigenous lives, and traditions. I personally believe if Black people and Indigenous people and other people of color can come together without the involvement, I guess, of European settlers, Euro-Canadian settlers, I think we'd really see a powerful movement happen where if it's just us supporting each other, then I think our possibilities would be endless. Like if the marginalized came together and started to put these issues at the table and attack it head on, I think it'd be quite something to see. But the challenge is too, like you don't want to compromise spaces. When I go to Indigenous-focused events, I'm an ally to that community. I don't take up space, and you have to ensure that everybody has their time to voice their opinions, right, what they believe is important. I went to a conference called RISE, the Racialized Indigenous Student Experience Summit, hosted by the Canadian Federation of Students a year ago. And it was a space just for people of color. And I can't express how therapeutic that was to be in these talk-only spaces with people that you can just identify with and have that really important kinship that is so important, especially as we all are facing systemic injustice and inequality under the implementation of white supremacist practice. I think if we were to come together, then the world at least the Western world, would look like a very different place. And I look forward to that day where we can come together in solidarity and start making moves. What do you see as the importance of the cultural side of Black Space Winnipeg's work? We are redefining our narrative, right? We've always had a very deliberate message that's generated by the media and the public of what they think Black people are, how we are. And when we have our events that's curated and hosted by us, 
then we get to control that space. We get to control that narrative and how people see our culture. And I think it's important to have these spaces where we're unapologetically Black and pro-Black and Afrocentric because so long we've been taught to not be who we are authentically and define our narrative and just express ourselves the way we need to without the gains of white curiosity or white fragility or any kind of involvement from the people who've always controlled that narrative. And it's important to express through culture because, like I said, the conversation is the first step. And once there's kind of a general sense of what's going on, then I feel like we can move forward and then start with those other initiatives, right? Like applying pressure onto government, making sure that institutions are reflecting what we feel is important and what our community needs. And I think it's a Manitoba thing, too, and a Canadian thing. We celebrate culture, right? But we just do it through a lens that's more radical and, I suppose, provocative than traditionally expressed. So in the course of all of this work, what ways have you found to be most effective in pushing back against that Canadian narrative of it doesn't happen here, everything's great here, it's an American problem, all of that cluster of white Canadian smugness. Silence is Violence and Black Lives Matter, those two events were really important because it kind of shook people a bit, it woke people up like, oh, this actually does happen in Canada, Winnipeg specifically. And how we, I guess, clap back at that false statement that Canada is, you know, accepting all this is by driving these very political initiatives. And we kind of really want to put on the platform that you don't dismantle racism by not acknowledging race and this kind of colorblind approach, this colorblind racism approach. And by keeping it in the public discourse, then like I said, it's going to take a very, very, very long time. And it's not just in Winnipeg, right? I think it's around the world at this point just having these kind of basic conversations with what I feel should be common sense by now, but isn't to a lot of people. But the way we clap back by this kind of Canadian welcoming conversation that's always had is these reminders, right? The Black Lives Matter, the silence is violence, talking about the history of the Ku Klux Klan in Canada and in Manitoba. Like, it's just these reminders, like it it happens here, it happens every day, and it's systemic, and it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. What does Black Space Winnipeg have coming up in the next while? We are hoping to program a very large festival for Black History Month, kind of similar to Nui Noir and what we do with our film series. We just had an event that partnered with Gradual Rising of Women. They're a group from Edmonton who talk about newcomer and immigrant women's stories. And we want to make sure that we're serving all demographics that apply under the umbrella of the African diasporic experience. So making sure that there's more programming and initiatives that are supporting our newcomer Black community and hearing their stories and addressing the anti-Black racism in the immigration system. And whenever we see something like Charlottesville happen within our community, then we have a conversation and prepare for that. You have been listening to my interview with Alexa Potashnik of Black Space Winnipeg. To learn more about the group's work, go to blackspacewpg.ca. That's blackspacewpg.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.